Good morning, everyone. Lovely to hear from all of you, and a special welcome to you if you're here for the first time or through Kids Holiday Club this week. Uh, it is a great joy to have you with us uh, to think about Jesus, to uh, yeah, and kind of celebrate the week that's been. My name's Troy. I'm one of the ministers here, and I have the joy of taking us through these words, the joy and the challenge, because they're quite confronting words, aren't they, here in John 19. If you keep this out in front of you, that would be helpful, and you can read along as we go. Our Kids Holiday Club was such a wonderful week. I was up at our Bexley North site each morning, helping out with uh, coffee and stuff like that up there. And my kids are too little to be part of the program yet. They're not at school yet, but it didn't stop my four-year-old daughter sneaking in the back and watching, and it didn't stop my one-year-old boy running down the middle of the aisles and interrupting the program at one point. Um, and I had to like wrestle him out, but that was a lovely, lovely week. And I hope that you all had a good week too as part of uh, this great Kids Holiday Club. Let's pray, and then we'll get into these words. Our gracious Father, we thank you again for your word. And we thank you that you speak to us as we read the words and the actions of the Lord Jesus. Please challenge us and uh, transform us now to be people who trust in Jesus and rejoice that he is the king. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this week at Kids Holiday Club, the theme has been a quest for a king, the quest for a king. And I don't know about you, when I hear that kind of phrase or that kind of idea, when I think about kings and queens and royal stuff, it all seems kind of abstract to me. Like, who actually cares about real kings and queens these days? Uh, what do they even have to do with us? Why do we even have a king of Australia? Uh, the late Queen of Australia, the now King of Australia, uh, of England, they don't seem to have that much impact on our day-to-day lives, do they? I'm sure that the peace and stability we enjoy is in part because of them, but we don't kind of really notice them day by day, do we? Unless you're really obsessed with the royals and you're, you're really into all of that stuff, those shows, those books. Uh, instead, when we think about kings and queens... It's kind of something that we think about, something we experience in the make-believe, in imaginary stories, in books and movies about the kings and queens of old or imaginary lands and imaginary kings and queens. But I want to say to you today that that's not the category that the Bible is in. That's not the case for this book and what it says about kings, about the king. You see, at Kids Holiday Club this week, yeah, there's been games and there's been activities about kings and kingdoms. Yes, the kids have used their imaginations to enjoy themselves, but they've done much more than that. They've also looked at the story of the Bible. And the story of the Bible comes to us not as imagination, not as make-believe, but as truth, but as history, as things that really happened and that were recorded so that they will be passed on because they are the most important things that have ever happened. I wonder if you know that about the Bible. Do you realise that? So this is this week what the kids have been thinking about at Kids Holiday Club. They've been seeing these things. On day one, they looked at the Bible and they learned God promises us a forever king. What we see in the Bible is that God has indeed spoken throughout history. He's revealed himself and what he's like. He's done mighty and amazing things and he has made promises. He told his people what would happen, what he would do in the future. The Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, that big chunk here, it has all of the promises of God 
that one day a king would reign forever, for eternity, for time unending. That was day one. On day two, the kids looked at the Bible and saw that we need a king who lives for God. We humans, we need a king who lives all out for God because of what we are like. Because humanity is sinful. We have rebelled against God and so have many of our kings and rulers in history and they've been corrupt and self-seeking, haven't they? And even the best of our kings and leaders, well, they're not perfect and they're not good all the time. And even if they are a good king or queen or leader, well, soon they die and a fool takes their place. Read history and that's all you see over and over again. But then on day three this week, the kids learned that God came good on his word. He sent Jesus, his son. Jesus is the promised king who rescues us. Human leaders aren't perfect and they all die, but God kept his promise to send a king who would deal with the problem, who would fix the problem of evil and the problem of death. Jesus, the Christ, a Jewish man some 2,000 years ago, he was, he is the answer. Jesus was perfect and good in every way, and he overcame death. That's a huge claim, isn't it? More on that soon. And so because of Jesus, on day four, the kids learned, because of Jesus, we can be part of God's kingdom forever. God promised a king would reign forever, and if we believe in him, if we trust in him, well, we too can live with him forever in his kingdom into all eternity. And today, right now, the kids are out there learning about the return of King Jesus and living for him as we wait for him. See, that idea of kings and kingdoms, for us, it can kind of seem like it's abstract and and it's kind of like make-believe where we experience that. But the Bible is fully and totally serious about Jesus being a king and being a king of a real kingdom. And today, we're going to think just a little bit more about that. In particular, I want us to hone in and think about that day three there, that Jesus is the promised king who rescues us. And to do that, I want us to explore the story of Jesus in John's gospel that we just read out and how Jesus is the king who rescues us in these verses. See, we're picking up the part of the story where Jesus, he's been arrested by the Jewish leaders of his day. He's been falsely accused by them. They didn't appreciate that Jesus was a threat to their power, and so they're trying to get rid of him. They were the ones who were meant to care about peace and justice and love, yet here they are trying to execute an innocent man. And so now they've brought this man, Jesus, to accuse him before Pontius Pilate, the man in charge, the Roman governor. They've gathered a crowd together. They're sitting at his palace, standing in his courtyard, knocking on the door. That's the scene that we start in. So come with me. We're going to look at the words printed on your outline. John chapter 19. What do we see there? Well, we see this to and fro between Pilate and the Jewish religious leaders. You see, Pilate, he is with the Romans. He's employed by the Roman Empire. He doesn't care about this Jewish leaders. He doesn't care about this random guy, Jesus. He doesn't really care what they think about him. It says there, from that moment, Pilate made every effort to release him. He just wants to go about his day, not to be bothered with such things this early in the morning. But the Jewish leaders, they want Jesus dead. They are determined. 
And they want him dead. Why? You see there, it's because of his claim to be king. Because he made himself out to be a king. Because he claimed to be the promised forever king. The one that the Old Testament promised centuries ago. But they, the Jewish leaders, they had a long list of reasons why they thought he was not the king. And they didn't want him to be. And so, to get him killed, they used this idea against Pilate. So look at verse 12 on your outline. But the Jews shouted to Pilate, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. See, after arguing with Pilate to and fro, they then pull out the trump card. They're saying, Jesus, he makes himself out to be a king, a rival to Caesar. If you don't do what we want, Pilate, we're going to go tell Caesar. And let's see how that goes for you, Pilate. You've got a bad track record with the emperor already. Let's see what happens when your boss comes to visit you. So Pilate, he's now in a bit of a pickle. He doesn't really want the Roman emperor coming to check up on him because there's apparently another person claiming to be king. And so he has to think fast. What does he do? How does he respond? Look at verse 13. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside in front of them all, full view. And then look at down at verse 14, the end of verse 14. What does Pilate say? He told the Jews, here is your king. And at this point, we see Pilate's decided to stop trying to release Jesus. He's given up on that idea. No, instead, he tries to incite the Jewish leaders. He's your king, isn't he? He's a Jew like you. He's your responsibility. What do you want me to do with him? He baits them to say these horrible words. He knows they want blood. And so in verse 15, he makes them cry out, take him away. Take him away. Crucify him. Pilate knows just how extreme this is. Just how bloodthirsty these men are. Only the worst of criminals would be hung on a cross to die. And so to absolve himself and his responsibility for charging an innocent man with death, a horrible death, look at verse 15. Pilate said, should I crucify your king? He's inciting them again. And so this leads the Jewish leaders in desperation to say these chilling words. We have no king but Caesar. See, these Jewish leaders who hated that the Romans ruled over them, they hated the Roman rule, but they had no trouble lying and flattering so that they could have Jesus killed. And these were religious leaders who were meant to have God as their only king. And yet here they are all too happy to cast God aside so that they can have Jesus killed. Caesar's our true king. Do what we say. So then come the even more chilling and even more sobering words of Jesus' crucifixion. Read it with me in verse 16. So then, because of them, the Jewish leaders, Pilate handed Jesus over to be crucified. Therefore they took him away. Verse 18 there they crucified him and two others with him, one either side with Jesus in the middle. It's a short description of such a horrible, horrible event. And at this point, John could have finished his gospel here. 
Because what else is there to say? An innocent man has been condemned, has been horribly and brutally executed. But John doesn't stop there because he has more to show us about Jesus, more to show us about him being the king. See, if you look at verse 19, Pilate, he he had the name and the charge of the criminal written above Jesus, signposted on the cross. Jesus the Nazarene, that's the town he was from, the king of the Jews. And it was written clear for everyone to see in three languages, in a public place as people came in and out of the city. Everyone could see Jesus was the king of the Jews. Now you can understand why the Jewish leaders were a bit cranky about this. Look at verse 21. They say, don't write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I'm the king of the Jews. We don't think he's the king. The whole reason we brought him to you is because we don't think he's the king of the Jews. Don't write that. And Pilate just says, what I've written, I've written. I don't care, guys. Leave me alone. Let me do the rest of my day in peace. Such a callous man that he is. Now, Pilate didn't know it. And the Jewish leaders didn't believe it. But John shows us, Jesus himself shows us, that what was written above the cross there was actually true. That's why John has recorded this for us. That's why the story didn't end there. Because John shows us this by what happens next in the story. You see, over this naked, bleeding man, hanging on a cross in agony, soon to die, over this man was what looked like this ironic title, King of the Jews. Look how powerful he is, hanging on a cross. And by all accounts, it looked like Jesus was the helpless victim here, dragged along with no control whatsoever over his decisions and of what's happening to him. But that's not how it is. That's not how it was. That's not how John sees it. Because at the end, because in the very final moments of Jesus' life, his last breaths, as he approached the end, the focus changes in the story. The focus changes away from the Jewish leaders and from Pilate and what they're saying and doing, and it hones in directly on what Jesus says and what Jesus does. Because it's what Jesus does and what Jesus says that show us he really is the king. Look carefully at verse 28. That's what this shows us. 28. After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on hyssop and held it up to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Now, maybe that reads a bit strange to you, all that detail about hyssop and wine and sponges. But do you see what's happening here? First of all, Jesus, he's saying and doing all the little things that the Old Testament said the king would do, the Messiah, the promised one. Can I say, if you've never taken the time to pick up a Bible or or to ask a friend or to come to the life course and, and to see throughout the Old Testament all the things that were promised and then all the things that Jesus did that lined up and matched exactly. If you've never taken the time to do that, 
can I urge you? It is evidence that cannot be ignored. It's one of the reasons I'm sure many people in this room are here today who believe in Jesus because they have seen the Bible fits together. What it claims happened. It all comes amazingly together in Jesus. So first of all, we see Jesus here, he's fulfilling the scriptures. But second, we see here, Jesus is actually the one who is in control. It's not the Jewish leaders who accused him. It's not Pilate who condemned him. No, Jesus knows everything was going according to plan. He was was meant to die. He chose to hang on this cross. And third, Jesus, he makes this all the more clear when he's the one who says, it is finished. Everything I have come to do, I have done. And did you see it there? It's Jesus who gives up his spirit. It doesn't say Jesus died. It says he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He's the one who chose when it was all over. Jesus is the one in control. Jesus is the one with authority. He's the king. Was Jesus an innocent victim? Innocent, yes. A victim? No. Not in any way, shape or form. He's in control of even this situation. And that's a remarkable story, a striking detail for it to finish on. But actually, if you've read John's Gospel before, you shouldn't be surprised by what Jesus says and what Jesus does here. Because already in John 10, already Jesus had already said that these very things were going to happen. He said it was going to happen, and he said it was going to happen for a reason. We're going to think about that now to finish our time, thinking about what Jesus said just some months earlier in John 10. Some months earlier, Jesus said these words, and it shows us exactly what is happening in John 19 at the death of Jesus. So look at John 10 on the screen with me. Jesus, he'd already explained all of this. He was in control. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He goes on, this is why my father loves me, because I am laying down my life so I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down and I have the right to take it up again. Do you find that striking? That long before Jesus hung on a cross, he said, I will lay down my life. It's my choice. No one takes it from me. Not Pilate, not the Jewish leaders who accuse me. It's my choice to lay it down, not theirs. Who else can say that about their own trial and execution? Jesus can, because he's the king. But why would he lay his, his life down? What is the reason for all of this? Why would he go to that cross and choose to die? We saw it before. He says, for my sheep. For his people, he says. And this is that wonderful truth of the Bible. That Jesus died for our sin. 
that he chose to die in our place and for our rejection of God, for our rebellion against God, he suffered and died to take the punishment that we deserve. He laid down his life for his sheep. Jesus is the promised king who rescues us. He laid down his life so he could take it up again and rise again so that he could then give us life, eternal life, forever. Jesus is not the victim, he's the king. And as a shepherd rules and cares over his sheep, so Jesus rules and cares for his people. He lays down his life for them, for their sin. And he rises again as king over everything, king even over death. And maybe that sounds abstract to you. Maybe it sounds strange, but this is what the Bible says, and this is what Christians believe with all their heart, that Jesus is an actual king, and that he reigns in a real kingdom. Most of all, he's a king who loves his people, so much so that he laid down his life, went to a cross for them, so that he might show us what kind of king that he is. Yes, the king who has all power and authority. He's in control. But also the king who loves his people, who laid down his life for his sheep. So it's my hope that every one of us here today is struck again, by, or struck for the first time, by the story of Jesus. And I hope you are struck by the death of Jesus the king. And I hope today you consider what it actually means for you. Because in those verses that we read just before in John 10, John says more, or Jesus says more, and he says what it means for us, what it means for you and me. So look again at the screen one more time. Because Jesus says this. He says, yes, I come to lay down my life. But he also says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I will give them eternal life and they will never perish. Ever. You see, just as a sheep recognizes the voice of their shepherd, well, so Jesus' people recognize the voice of their king. And so they become part of his flock, part of his kingdom, and he gives them life for all eternity. So the question is, after we've seen that Jesus is the good shepherd, after we've seen that he's the king who laid down his life for us, the question is, will you listen to his voice? Will you listen to the voice of Jesus? Will you believe in him, that he is the king and that he is the loving king? Will you hear his voice today, here in these scriptures in John, and will you follow him? Because that is our hope for you, especially if you're here as part of Kids Holiday Club, you came along at the invitation of someone else. That's what we as a church here are on about. We want people to come to know that Jesus is king over all and that he has loved us and laid down his life for us. He has loved us like no one ever else can or has. So today will you hear his voice? And follow him. Or at least will you ask more, find out more? Ask us today, ask someone straight after the service, write, write something down on your, your feedback slip. Come to the life course that comes up. 
because we want everyone everywhere to hear the voice of King Jesus, the Good Shepherd, and turn to follow him. Amen.